We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Uh, Before we get into the show, we have an exciting announcement. We're going to be joining the Blue Wire Podcast Network with Kevin Jones and a bunch of great people. They've got a great infrastructure that's going to help us grow the show. The most pertinent and relevant one to you guys as the listeners is that they are going to be helping out with the editing. It has taken superhuman feats of editing for me to get Darius to sound good. And I just don't always have that much time. So sometimes we can't record as often as we would like to. Uh, And now we're going to have some people helping us out with that. And I'm really excited about that. So what we're going to talk about today is the Lakers are very shorthanded. They are one in three without LeBron James. And there is obviously a short-term bad side to that. We're going to also explore what the good side of that might be. And we're going to talk about the integration of the all the ball handlers that the Lakers have had. That was a big thing that excited a lot of us Laker fans coming into the season. Is they've got all of these guys that can handle the ball, that can pass. And we're going to look into what that's looked like. So let, let's start, though, with LeBron. Darius, we... Uh, you know, we've seen the last few games, Lakers have been missing not just him, but you had an interesting idea about, you know, obviously short term, it's it's detrimental to the team, but that should also be weighed against perhaps some opportunity. What do you mean by that? I've been bouncing around an idea in my head just about trying to balance like what the Lakers are going to look like in in the long term and what they're trying to build towards versus the sort of short-term issues that they face without LeBron James and what that means within 
the context of a really crowded Western Conference playoff race. And so obviously without LeBron James, I feel like there's just so much more opportunity for the young players to sort of spread their wings and and look somewhat like the team from last season, right? Where all of the young players were, were sort of given these outsized roles. It wasn't necessarily about their individual successes and failures on, on the court and how much that contributed to winning and losing. Winning and losing was obviously important, but what was more important, and you were in the press scrums, right? And you were in the locker room. And some of the sound bites that were coming from Luke Walton pretty much every day was was just about the building of a culture, the foundation that they're trying to set with these young players and really grow them and develop them into core pieces that can be part of a winning team. And obviously the Lakers got LeBron James this past summer and expectations ratcheted up, you know, 15 or 20 levels, right? But now LeBron's been removed from from the equation and we get to see these young players sort of succeed and fail on their own merits without sort of that that LeBron crutch. And I think that that can be beneficial to the team in the long term, right? Like Brandon Ingram gets to play well down the stretch against in that second Kings game, for example, and help really inspire that late game run that led them to a victory. And then in the first Kings game, and then in the most recent game that they just lost as well, he sort of fumbled a little bit and went too much isolation and the Lakers lost against the Thunder. And it's like, those are the ups and downs. Those are the growing pains that come when you sort of feature young players almost exclusively. And I think that as we've seen throughout the history of the Lakers, like in the last 20 or 20, 25 years, we, we saw this some with Kobe Bryant. We saw this with like those Lake Show teams with the Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel group that you sort of give these guys space and let them grow. And over the long term, what you hope is to develop meaningful rotation players for really good playoff teams. But they've been losing, right? And, and that's problematic. For the short term, because that experience that I feel like you're trying to grow and build them towards, how much is it going to matter if in a month or a month and a half from now, maybe they're the 10th seed? Right. I I think that the detriment, right, to having LeBron out is obvious in short term ways and even long term for the sake of this season. Uh, But but I do want to explore like the idea of how much of what Brandon and Lonzo specifically, even Kuzma to an extent as well, being kind of more of the go-to scorer. I feel like like Ingram has been the main guy that's had the ball, and Kuzma's been our go-to scorer prior to him getting injured, and Lonzo has run some offense as well. So those are, to me, the three guys that are the most impacted by LeBron being out. What about their experience during this time, good and bad, can be applicable to once LeBron comes back into the lineup? I thought one of the goals this year was to sort of have a team and have these young players grow in in a way and, and take on roles in, in a manner that allowed LeBron James to maybe not have to be peak LeBron for 
you know, the course of a full 82 game season. Let's uh, go into that for a second, because to me, it's not so much about peak LeBron as it is how LeBron is playing. And after the first, gosh, I want to say five to maybe eight games, LeBron resumed the basically point guard at the top of the key type of role. He became a guard fairly early in the season, which was more similar to how he's always been used. And that, I think, altered roles. Lonzo is probably the guy most impacted by that. So can this not just be something to where you don't need peak LeBron, but also you don't need the same type of LeBron and he's playing lower impact minutes. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that in the long term, I think that that's the goal. I don't think you're ever going to get LeBron to change radically. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. But I think over the course of stretches of a game, you want to be able to give the ball to other guys who can, who can, facilitate and 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 create reasonable levels of offense every title contending LeBron team has had at least one of those additional players either you're talking about a Kyrie Irving player or a Dwayne Wade player right like the the version of the Cavs that was not able to get over the hump as great as LeBron was did not have that secondary guy, right? Like last last year's Cavs, for for example, LeBron was brilliant throughout the playoffs. And then against the Warriors, they got swept. <laughs> you, you know, he broke his hand or had the hand injury. Um, they had the J.R. Smith issue at the end of game one, right? And then they folded, basically. But... When you look at the best versions of LeBron-led teams, they have those sort of secondary creator types who can sort of take on primary roles within the construct of of running the offense. And just to like even tangent right in the middle of mid-sentence right there, this is the reason why the Lakers are still hot after a second superstar player, right? Yeah. Because you want that other high-level offensive creator next to LeBron James. And I think the opportunity that is in front of itself right now is for Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma not to become that player overnight, but to get those reps. Those reps matter. But do they matter if a second guy is going to come in and their role is going to change? And, you know, like, it's one thing to be Kyrie to LeBron, but, like, from Kevin Love, you know, Chris Bosh to your Shane Battiers, Richard Lewis, all those other guys, like, those are different type of reps. Like, can you still... Like, I, I don't think either of those guys will be that right away, meaning Lonzo... Brandon Kuzma, even in the best scenario. Sure. You know, so is there still that value or is it just a temporary, you know, plug in the hole in the dam type of thing until you can get it patched up with that second guy? Well, I think it's sort of both, right? Right. So I think what you're talk, talking about is let's look two steps ahead. And I'm talking just one step ahead, right? Like, okay, that's fair. Like, that's fair. Like, let's cross the bridge when the bridge is built. 
the Lakers are trying to develop these guys into being the players they'll need them to be within the construct of the current team that well that they have. If down the line it ends up being like, oh, well now the Lakers have Kevin Durant. Okay, well then yeah. Let's start to talk about what this team actually looks like then. I I can almost guarantee you that if the Lakers get Kevin Durant or if they you know, I'm talking about a free agent signing like a Kevin Durant or or a Kawhi Leonard or even a Klay Thompson. I can almost guarantee you that all of these young players that are on the roster now are probably not going to be on the team in two or three years. As you try to get more veterans that can yes, like play right then and there. Right yeah, then yeah. and there or even just like, okay, well, what is really the best mix of these guys now that you have a more complete team in front of you? Right. Like, I think that they're trying to build with the current core of young players and and build out a team that can be competitive in the short and the long term. Right. Like Rob Palinka and Magic Johnson have have talked extensively about. Right. Like the hundreds and hundreds of plans that they have to lay out and variables that exist within those plans in in order to try to get to the next championship level roster. And some of those plans are going to be, well, what if none of these guys take take this money? You know, right. and like like in terms of the top level players. So if if you can't get superstar X to sign on the dotted line and your assets can't be flipped for disgruntled superstar Y on on another team then can you grow brandon ingram into an approximation of an all-star level player can you grow lonzo ball in well well, into that and then smartly use your cap space in ways that supplement them in the roles that you grew them into let's talk about that first step as opposed to those two steps down the line that's a fair point that we should probably address now is have you seen anything in these games that at all alters the when LeBron comes back, we should do blank differently as a result of what we've seen so far. Yes and no. Thanks for getting uh, it in uh, early. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for getting it in it's early. It's our inaugural uh, Blue Wire pod. We had to get one in, right? Right. So, I mean, I think that the goal and what I've seen in sort of glimpses is, yeah, like, let's try to get Brandon Ingram more opportunities but more opportunities that make sense for him what opportunities make sense for him i think maybe a little bit less pick and roll a little bit more dribble handoff stuff where he's getting downhill on his own i think some more continuation of of maybe running more lonzo pick and roll where he gets more direct playmaking responsibilities rather than just sort of initiating the offense and going to run and stand in the corner the, yeah. the way that he has with, with LeBron. Like, one of the ideas that you've been talking about off and on for, I feel like, months is, even though the season is only, you know, two months old, is is um running a little bit more LeBron as a screener for Lonzo rather than the um the Lonzo screen screening for LeBron action that that the Lakers have run a fair amount like Lonzo has to me been showing a little bit more of ability as a pick and roll passer and playmaker that I think 
is really useful to sort of grease the wheels of an offense. You you know, he has good chemistry with well, with all of the big men on the roster. He has good chemistry with, with Kyle Kuzma. Why the hell wouldn't he have good chemistry running that action with LeBron James? And they've been really good when they've done that with Lonzo as the ball handler and LeBron as the screener. Those have been really productive sets. Think about what LeBron's skill set actually is. He can do everything, right? And so LeBron can pick and pop. He can pick and roll and finish hard at the hoop. He can pick and short roll and pick out shooters all all over the floor or even run high-low action off of pick and short roll where it's JaVale sort of ducking in then from the dunker spot to catch lobs. There are all of these opportunities offensively that come from LeBron and Lonzo running the pick and roll with Lonzo as the initiator that the Lakers really haven't explored much yet this season. Um, I know we, we, we started this talk talking about Brandon Ingram. So let's get back to him for, for a second too. Ingram showing that he can still be a monster when he's getting downhill. It's just that he's not getting downhill consistently as a pick and roll ball handler. Those sets are getting stalled out and they basically turn, turn into isolations and he's not getting to the rim as effectively. But when he's catching the ball on the move, he can be a devastating finisher at the rim. What I've liked about Ingram more recently too is, is that he's been racking up more assists. I feel yeah. like that that's been translating to his work on the backboards too. He's been rebounding a lot better the last few games. I know that you've always been saying... I feel like one of your more pointed and real accurate critiques about Ingram is he's just not a good rebounder considering his size and length. And he's been doing, at least to my eyes... The last two games, yes. Right? Like eight, nine rebounds, right? Like high-pointing the ball and then turning those into grab-and-go situations. So, look, these are small steps I get. And I know that I can get excited about some of the young players and I don't want to gloss over the weaknesses or where their struggles are, but these guys are still so young and I don't know how you grow young players by never letting them fail. You know, like, like I just don't see that as there's only so many Tim Duncans and Shaqs in the world and LeBrons. You know, those guys who were basically impact players from day one and have the ability to to just sort of turn a franchise from doormat to real playoff team overnight, basically. And it's clear to me that the Lakers, that the Lakers young players at this stage, stage of their careers are like not showing to be that level of guy, which is totally fine, right? Like... I don't need them to be generational players. Like, I think that that's always the hope whenever you draft at the top of the draft. But it's so rare to get one of those guys. Like, I'm, I mean, we were saying that Carl Anthony Towns was potentially going to be one, one of those guys. Like, yeah, he can stuff the box score. But how is that translating to wins and losses? What I'm looking for is sort of incremental progress to help grow these guys into roles that can hopefully be much larger. And this is where I feel like LeBron being out can be, there can be a little bit of a silver lining there, even though just like we talked about at the beginning of the pod, that that comes with real consequences when you're one in three 
in the four games that he's missed. In such a tightly compacted Western Conference as well. For me, I can sum it up in a sentence regarding what I think should change, and that's LeBron can play off of Lonzo and Brandon better than Lonzo and Brandon can play off of LeBron. You know, we all have our theories and our ideas going into the season of what this would look like, and I've always been a an advocate of Lonzo Ball can impact the game without having the ball in his hands. And that's true. I also have seen the reality of Lonzo impacts the game the most when he has the ball in his hands and he's able to run the offense, right? Like the his scoring off of the ball. And what I mean by that is how much of a threat he is when he doesn't have the ball in his hands is significantly less than it is when he is running the play, right? Like, so one of the things I've noticed on the positive side is when Lonzo is playing point guard on a possession, when he's like running the show, we run our sets really well. That's as well as we run the the plays that the team runs. And that doesn't happen as much when he's off of the ball. And you get the added negative of teams are going to cheat off of Lonzo because he's not the scoring threat, right? So like there are a lot of times where when Lonzo's a screener for LeBron, he will, the opposing teams will trap LeBron, Lonzo will short roll, the ball will get passed to him, and then on that four on three, they're like, Lonzo, you're the open guy, score on us, right? And that plays into the weaker elements of Lonzo's game, right? I think that LeBron could adjust to both him and Brandon, right? One of the things with Brandon that I've noticed is like you said, that willingness to pass. He had five assists in that Oklahoma City game, and it should have been closer to 10. If team, if guys made open shots at the rate at which they regularly do, it's probably maybe eight or nine assists in that game. But those shots didn't fall. He's been passing the ball really well. What my concern is, and I, I'm wondering what your thought process is, especially as, as big of an in, Ingram advocate as you've been, my concern is that Ingram's willingness to pass is directly tied to the to him knowing that he is still going to get a certain amount of shots and a certain amount of touches and that the, that will not translate to when LeBron comes back and his touches are reduced. And along with that, is there anything similar the Lakers could do with LeBron and Ingram to have that same sort of dynamic that you were describing with Lonzo and LeBron? Yeah, I think it's harder to run like pick and rolls um, with Ingram and and LeBron. I think that they could maybe run handoff stuff like at the elbow. The Lakers have that curl set action that they typically run with like Josh Hart coming like from like a down screen position and and then coming off of the elbow curl and and then maybe catching the ball. KCP runs at a fair amount too. I think maybe they like they can run some some of that stuff, but you know, like LeBron and Ingram are basically the same size player. The issue that, and you touched on this very early on in, well, in the season and probably even during the preseason when when we were talking about um, our analysis in, in terms of how the fit would work between them is is that teams just switch that stuff a lot or, or they go under on Brandon um, and make him sore, sort of shoot that 16 to 18 pull-up jumper. Now, when Ingram's in rhythm, he can hit that shot. I think, though, that what what we've been seeing late in games is that he's hesitant 
to shoot that shot some and so the ball stalls out because he's consistently looking to try to get to the rim and then he sort of dribbles the air out of the ball a little bit too much what I would hope the way that Ingram and LeBron can can maybe mesh a little bit better is the inverse of possessions that Ingram sort of just gets to freelance a little bit more or you give him his his opportunities to to get those shots that that those come a little bit more frequently in quarters one through three and that when it comes down the stretch and obviously LeBron's not going to just be you know a decoy the like the whole game but that if LeBron can pace himself in in a way and stay in the flow and rhythm of the game throughout the contest and maybe turn it on as as more of a scoring threat late that that might be some something that works for the Lakers um and works for for Ingram but even talking all of this out with with you right now like I mean look one of the issues that's always going to pop up when you're trying to uh, build a roster around LeBron James and optimize players around LeBron James is LeBron is better than all of them. And so how do you then optimize your full team in terms of results by basically saying, let's minimize our best player for the benefit of lesser players in order to try to get everyone to a higher level and will that actually even work i think we'd be lying or i'd be lying for sure if i said i didn't have my doubts that that approach would be wrong (laughs) you know what i mean no me too me too to me that's what this year is about though is finding answers to those questions and like to me long term it's harmful to just have LeBron as the point guard at the top of the key being the man on nearly every possession that it will get the best results this year and they may need to lean on that more especially with all the injuries to make the playoffs and to get a favorable seed and all of that but long term I think it's best to find like hey are there other things that work we know that that works can there be other actions that where we can maximize things? One thing with Ingram that I would like to see, it's a way that they use Kuzma, and you could actually, when everybody's healthy, and it's been a minute since we've had the starting lineup in place, but that lineup where it's Lonzo, Brandon, Kuzma, LeBron, and JaVale, the stagger screen set that they run, have Kuzma as the shooter that's coming out of the corner, have your have Brandon as the first screener for him and then your big man is the second screener the big man is almost always the the second screener on that the way that that play develops is the shooter's going to come out of the corner of receiving those that stagger screen if you're not familiar with the term it's the when two screeners are setting a screen for an off ball uh, or are setting an off ball screen for the shooter to come off of it we run this a lot for KCP so let's say it's Kuzma instead of KCP coming off of that Ingram's the first screener, JaVale's the second screener. If Kuzma doesn't get the ball on a like a catch-and-shoot three or on a curl, the way the Lakers run that is that the second guy peels off of that and runs off of the big screen. So the big man would then set a screen. So JaVale would set a screen for Brandon coming off of that. And that is a similar action to the handoff or uh you know getting to get Ingram going downhill in a way that I think is advantageous because I don't think he's as effective when the defense is set or when he's set but if you can get him on the move and if you can get the defense shifting that's when you see a lot of value start to play out one additional set that 
you made me think of when you were describing the action that you were talking about there is the Lakers sometimes run that double high screen. Right. And so explain what that is for the listeners. So they'll set a screen for the ball handler. And instead of it being a standard pick, pick and roll, they'll set two screens with usually a big and like the other forward basically. Or it'll be like Josh Hart will set a screen and JaVale McGee will set a screen and they're setting it for like, I don't know, Lonto Ball, for for example. And Mm -hmm. typically the big guy who sets a screen rolls and then the smaller guy who sets a screen pops and the ball handler then has the ability to potentially get downhill if the defense miscommunicates on how they're going to show out on that because it's sort of you're kind of creating like a bunch or a cluster at at the top of the key and all of that traffic can create miscommunication or the guy who pops out is is open because after the two screens are set the big man takes multiple players with him creating gravity on on his roll to the rim and it's just a nice little action the Lakers will run sometimes in in order to either set set up a pick and pop three for the guy who's popping out or the ball handler hopefully can get to the basket and either finish or throw a dump off pass or a lob to the big man who is running side by side with him basically and it might be interesting to run that same action but with like either Ingram as the ball handler or actually Ingram as one of the screeners. I'd love that. Uh, You know me with Ingram and screening. Like if you can get him in that and then get him the ball, I think those are great actions. Right. And so like imagine running that that cluster action at the top of the circle with LeBron, Kuzma, and Ingram. And LeBron is the one that's handling the ball. And Kuzma... And with Kuzma and Ingram both theoretically pop pop options, if one of them dives, then you might create miscommunication there. You you know, maybe Kuzma starts slipping or diving a little bit more to get his floater game going. Right? He's gonna do that he's gonna do that anyway. You know he's gonna be slipping the screen anyway. Right. And so you get him <laughs> right. into but you get him potentially in well, well into space. If LeBron is the ball handler, then he can then either hit that pocket pass to Kuzma or he can hit that whip pass back out to Ingram. If Ingram is open, he's getting basically his preferred type of three point shot, which is a catch and shoot three point shot. Or right. Or if he has a lane to drive, then you've got him driving hard to to the basket. And hopefully with Kuzma, if Kuzma gets downhill quickly and then he flares back out to the corner, right, and he, and he can space out, then it creates open avenues for, for Ingram to get to the cup if he's actually driving against a closeout or sees an angle to, to attack the basket. Basically, what I'm trying to do... And I think what, and it's what I described earlier, is is get Ingram the ball in positions where he's not always just looking to create off of a live dribble. Right. Right? Which I think that you've thrown out some numbers. I've, 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 I've seen you put them out there on Twitter. You and I have talked talked about them both on and, and offline. But Ingram's shot creation out of pick and rolls and out of isolations just aren't as strong. You know, the where he is strong is is on cuts. He's strong in the open court. 
Um, he can do well enough, I think, as as a spa spot up option. And when he's actually attacking valid closeouts, I think he's going to do where do well there as well. And I bet in handoff situations as well, where again he can get downhill. But the Lakers need to try to find more opportunities to create those well those those actions for him. I also wouldn't mind seeing the Lakers go back to some of their weave actions, you know, and I feel like we've been talking about that for like a year and a half and those sets basically disappeared when Lou Williams left. So this segues fairly well into the second topic that I wanted to get into and that is the implementation of the multiple ball handlers that the Lakers have on this roster. Like I said at the opening of the show, this is something that we were very excited about, very intrigued of what does a team with all these ball handlers look like. Rondo has missed a lot of time with two separate injuries along with a suspension, so we have not seen all of that together at once that often, but I do think we've seen enough of enough of those guys together to where the thing that kind of sticks in my craw a bit is I don't think that we've maximized the potential of that or come or are even on the path to doing that because the ball handling on this team feels very much like a your turn, my turn type of thing. Prior to LeBron's injury, the Lakers were making the third or fourth fewest passes in the NBA at the time. It was it was the third fewest because OKC and Houston were the only teams that did it less. Two teams with a couple of very ball-dominant guys in Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And you can even, even secondary guys in Chris Paul and Paul George who can, who can pound the ball a bit. To me, like all of that only works really well in terms of the Lakers' roster construction is if you've got multiple ball handlers touching the ball on the same play. And I, I haven't loved how that's worked out. It's just felt like, okay, it's Lonzo's turn on this play. It's LeBron's turn on these three plays. Ingram gets a turn, but they haven't been able to integrate all of it. Yeah. I just don't think that the, I get the sense that what Luke wants to do isn't actually happening. What do you mean by that? (laughs) I just think Luke's upbringing within basketball. He grew up watching his dad play and his dad played for the 86 Celtics team. Luke has cited that team as being one of like his inspirations as a basketball player. That team was a passing team, a ball movement team, a really unselfish group of guys. Then he played for Phil Jackson. And then he coached with Steve Kerr. And all of those guys have systems in place where it's sort of more of a... It's like a democracy, right? The ball moves, man. Like Everyone wants to get a touch... We want to spread the ball around. Luke often talks talks about getting the ball moving from side to side, and that doesn't really happen. I see a lot of complaints every day, every game day on Twitter about, like, what are the Lakers doing on offense? Their offense looks so disorganized. What are they really trying trying to accomplish? And one of the things that I think is just happening is, like, the ball is just sticking. Like, when you talk about multiple ball handlers, one of the things that ends up happening— with multiple ball ball handlers is it's like these guys are like yeah i'm a ball handler give me the ball (laughs) right that's a perfect way of putting it you know and so look man rondo does this brandon ingram does it lebron james does it the only guy who lance stevenson does it the only guy who's a supposed ball handler who actually moves the damn ball consistently is lonzo ball (laughs) right right and and he pays for it in 
greatly reduced touches as a result. As a guy who should be bringing the ball up a fair amount of time, and he doesn't, especially when he's playing next next to LeBron, but as the quote-unquote point guard, I haven't looked at this stat in, in a long time, but his average touch time has to be astronomically low. Yes. For a lead guard, right? Now, you can say he's not technically a lead guard and yada, 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 but he has been more of that when LeBron's been out. But Lonzo's the one guy, man, where the ball comes to him and he's not looking for an opportunity for him to put the ball on the ground. He's looking for the next open teammate. I would argue he does that to a detriment too. That like the the sweet spot's somewhere between what he does and what the other guys do. Because sometimes, a lot of times, he's going to overpass before the defense commits to him, and then like he just passed it to somebody who he didn't get open. Look, Lonzo's playing like UCLA Lonzo, and the defenses aren't treating him like UCLA Lonzo. Mm-hmm. UCLA Lonzo was a guy who you had to close out on. Right. Right. <laughs> he was. Right? Like, that's basically it. When you were talking earlier about Lonzo's strength off of the ball, it made me think to our pre-draft conversations about him. Right. And so much of our pre-draft conversations about Lonzo Ball and his and him being a threat off of the ball was the fact that he was, you know, basically like a high 30s or 40% three-point shooter at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And he was a dynamic cutter and finisher around the rim in terms yes. of lob catching and slashing back door and 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 all of that. Well, in the pros, he's been a low 30s basically three-point shooter and his ability to finish and cut back door doesn't matter when no one when the defense is playing off of you by 3 or 4 feet all of the time. There's nowhere to cut when no one's respecting your ability to actually shoot outside. You are you, the guy who's open. Yes. Right? This is one of the reasons why, too. Like, we talk about Ingram. Oh, Ingram's, like, look at Ingram's points per play off off of cuts. Well, yeah, that's great until you realize, too, that it's like, well, defenders go under basically every screen against Ingram. Every single screen. And so even if you set off-ball screens for these guys, guys are going under... They're not locking and trailing. You know what I mean? Like, none of the technique that allows you to basically be a great cutter in the NBA work for these guys because their jump shot isn't respected enough yet. It's one of the reasons why guys like KCP and Hart can can actually get open off of screens so much that you're like, wow, like KCP's open. Like, how's he open on well on that curl? Well, he's open on, on that curl because guys are using lock and trail technique. Because Which means they don't want him to shoot the three. Yes, right? Like, they're riding his back hip. So when he curls into the paint, he's open. And, and, it, and, it, and it's the same with Josh Hart, right? Like, and it's the same with Kuzma. And this is the reason why these guys work off of LeBron, you know? It's, it's, that, that's why the point that you made earlier about... LeBron has an ability to play off of Lonzo and, and Ingram easier than Ingram and Lonzo have the ability to play off of him because the players that thrive off of LeBron are shooters. And Lonzo and Ingram aren't shooters at this point. They are finishers 
at least in Ingram's case, and they are shot creators, both of them, right? Lonzo for others, mostly, and Ingram some for others and some for himself. And, and, and so when you pair those guys with LeBron, like it's going to be a little bit clunkier. Now, Lonzo's fit next to LeBron is better because Lonzo is so pass happy and he is going to basically seek out advantage every single time. Ingram is not seeking out advantage. Ingram is seeking out a spot on the floor. Yes. The thing that you're trying to develop in in Ingram and when we spoke to his trainer and his name escapes me, so uh, I Michael apologize. Michael Lancaster. Yeah. Yes, M- Michael Lancaster. When we spoke to the skills trainer, Michael Lancaster, who worked with Brandon Ingram some over well over the summer, one of the things that Lancaster talked about with with Ingram was him being able to sort of get to spots on the floor and even if he's uncomfortable, be able to score the ball, right? And this is what great players do. Right, they find way they find ways to get to their key spots on the well, on the floor, and even if they're bothered, they make you pay. <laughs> right, and that's what Ingram's trying to become. And some days it looks great, you know, down the stretch of that Sacramento game, the game that the Lakers won, he hit a beautiful sort sort of like spinning fading jumper from like mm-hmm. the right side of the floor, and I was just like, that's a tough shot, and he made that shot look easy. He hit one like that earlier in the game against OKC too, but sort of like ducking into to the post. He shouldered his defender to, to knock him off and then hit a little six-foot fade away. And I was just like, oh yeah, like there you go. You, you know what I mean? Like these are the little things that they're trying to build in him. And, but he's not all the way there yet. And, you know, he's 21, man. Like it, it, It's also, man, like... I think it's great that he can hit and and he's really improved in the like short distance mid range that like three to ten feet area yeah and he's been really efficient on those and that's all well and good but him making the tough shots look easy is is great but him and Lonzo need to make the easy shots look easy and they aren't doing that right well and they so- need to get easier shots like like I like I mean even what you're saying is like they need to make the easy shots look easy they they also need to create easier ones like more consistently I, I feel like Lonzo I think both of them are are open a fair amount of time Lonzo will take the shot and he will miss it right so the the three Lakers got main young guys. You got Lonzo at 31.6% from three, and both Brandon and Kuz are at 30.2%. I view Kuzma a little differently, and maybe this is a bias on my part, but what you were talking about earlier about how defenses, how they game plan for Ingram going under him or how they sag off of Lonzo, right? Like, Kuzma may shoot be shooting the exact same percentage, and he is, 30.2% as Brandon Ingram. Defensers respect him in a way that they do not for the other two, and that opens up opportunities. I feel like those shot opportunities are available for the other two guys. Lonzo will take them, although he passes up a lot of shots against unders uh, when he has the ball in his hands, a lot of pull-ups, but they just don't take those, and I think that that kind of stifles a lot of possessions. So my question for you is, do Lonzo and Brandon in particular 
have to reach a certain threshold as simple catch-and-shoot guys in order to stick around long-term with LeBron James and be a decent fit? I think Ingram more so than Lonta. Interesting. Tell me tell me what you mean by that. I, I mean, look, Ingram's going to have... Ingram's bread and butter, I think, in the league is still going to be still skewed towards scoring a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in an ideal world, Ingram's going to be in that 17 to 21 point range long term at when he's at like his peak. You and I have talked about this before a bunch, but he's not going to get there unless he's probably taking four to five three pointers a game. That means you have to be hitting like one and a half to two threes a game, basically. And that's, you know, like I said, that's what, four and a half or six points every night, you know? And that's how you score 17 to 21 points a game. But but that's a way to get numbers. Is that a way to fit alongside LeBron? I mean, I suppose it is, right? We've yes. We've all of these great spot up yes. guys too. So, yeah. Yes, because if Ingram is taking five threes a game, and he's making 1.7 of them, right? Which would put him in the high 30s. And 34. 34. Y- yeah, right? Or like, let's say that he's just league average on five attempts a game. Got it. Then, basically, that's going to open up more opportunities for him as a guy who needs to be closed out on. It's going to make it so that other parts of his game open up. I know that the argument then is, well, if you're Lonzo Ball and you're playing next next to LeBron, LeBron needs sort of a spot-up shooter um, at point guard especially. And if Lonzo's not hitting his, his spot-up shots, then his utility on offense is, well, what is it? It's like, sure. Lonzo, though, even though he's not the scorer that Ingram is, I think he's a better pick-and-roll player than Ingram is already just from his passing ability. I think that he is he is still, I think, an elite um, offensive creator or shot creator in transition. He is still a top-flight defensive player. He is still a very good to excellent rebounding guard. There are all of these little cracks and crevices that Lonzo fills in for a player like LeBron that is going to have real value and so would it would all of that be even better if he was shooting like 36 or 37 percent from three and like high third like and even higher than that on like catch and shoot shoot opportunities of course if he's that guy then he's probably an all-star I think that both of them need to be able to do that it's funny I actually feel that Lon it's more important for Lonzo because Ingram can be an offensive threat as a scorer in other ways. Now, if Lonzo's jumper isn't falling and and the nature of Lonzo's three ball and this may be a, a matter of his mechanics, right? But he is either like in the 40s type hot on high volume or he's shooting like 12%. You know, there's very little consistency in his jumper from one night to the next. And to me, if, especially in the playoffs, if Lonzo's jumper isn't falling and it's in that 0 for 6, 0 for 7 type of way that it can get to, 
I'm not sure how you play him because teams are going to scheme so hard off of him, and it's not like he's a scoring threat in another way enough to where he can make up for that or you know dive to the rim and collapse a defense and then kick it out. Teams are going to be like, no, prove to us that you can either finish at the rim or you can knock down these open jumpers. So to me, I, I, I think that it's actually a little more essential for him to be able to do that. No, no, that makes sense. I I can totally agree with with that as well. Like and I mean to a certain extent like we've seen this the last couple couple of games too. Like Lucas closed with KCP instead, right? It's right? not like Rondo's healthy and and Lonzo's still Yeah, I think like, I think the free throws play into that too. Um, yeah, I mean, look man. <laughs> we're we're going to have to have another pod just one day and just like and not to be like wet blankets or anything, but just sort of like really get into the weeds about where Lonzo's at with his shooting, with his jumper, with his free throws, because we've talked a fair amount about like free throws being a strong indicator of how well you're going to shoot the ball from like from distance and Lonzo's a sub 50% free throw shoe shooter right now. And that's reflected and that's being replicated basically from like the three point arc too. This was not the dude. He was not this dude. He shot 67% from the line in college. And like, so it's one thing to like 67% isn't good. That is a very different animal than 45%. And that's his career free throw percentage too. Yeah, it, it's just like he's just not the shooting stuff has translated way worse than I think anyone would have anticipated at this stage of his career, considering the fact that don't talk to me about the longer NBA line. This dude was taking NBA threes in high school. Right. You know, and knocking them down with confidence. You know, like the tape that we've seen on him both at UCLA and at Chino Hills, that step back jumper that like Luka Doncic is hitting with consistency at like the NBA level, Lonzo was hitting that shot his whole life. It seems like we talked about the one NBA level move that we thought he had as a jump shooter coming into the draft was his step back going left. And how many times have you even seen him take that shot this year? He took it last year, his rookie year. But is, is he even taking that shot this year? Bro, my unqualified psychological analysis, I think Lonzo is deep in his own head and has been for a number of different reasons there's I know he's got off the court stuff too um but to me the free throw percentage is kind of indicative of that right where that should be the thing that translates most from college to the pros right there is no difference in you shooting a free throw like because you know when you shoot threes there's a longer line you've got better athletes guys with better length closing out to you all of these extra factors a free throw is a free throw is a free throw there shouldn't be a difference to this degree that drops you from 67%. I think he was in the 70s when he was in high school, same free throw line on the same height rim, right? When you combine that with 
so for example, the other day he had just missed like eight in a row from the free throw line. Crazy. Right. And when he went to the line to shoot his last two, he missed the first one, made the, the second, the first one was the eighth miss in a row. But as soon as he shot the first one, or I'm sorry, as soon as he got fouled, you could see him like, Oh crap, I have to do this again. You know? And you can see he does not hide his emotions well. And to me, he just exudes this, like, in his own head, lacking confidence type of guy. And and that honestly may be a bigger issue than any of the technique stuff or any of the things like that. Like, I feel like if you figure that out and if you can get him right in that respect, then that'll unlock a lot of other things. But again, that's my unqualified analysis. In, in that no, respect. I totally agree that whatever is ailing him right now, it it seems more confidence than it is anything related to shooting motion or form or you, you know, like we've dug in the weeds about, you know, Oh, how are his feet positioned? And is he on balance? Right? Like those things matter. Of course, the Lonzo that I want to see is that guy who knocks down a three and then does that little, like almost like he's like, pulling out like a butterfly knife with his hand you know like how he does that little thing with his hand with his fingers (laughs) and 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 he's just like hell yeah like like i'm on it right now to me that was the epitome of of what lonzo was at ucla and somewhere over the last year and a half at the nba level he has lost some of that swagger i it, it was funny because um I don't know where I read this on Twitter somewhere, and and they were talking about um, someone was 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 talking about like the trash talking that goes on at practice. Yeah, no. So so go ahead and get into it. Oh no, I just asked. You know, who, Lance is an interesting guy to interview, right? He's uh, he. You can go a few different places. We talked about his my player in in two K, and and it got to trash talk. And I asked him, you know, who are the best guys on the team at that he was like JaVale and Rondo and Josh Hart's pretty good uh and then he ended it with you know we're trying to get Lonzo to do more of that yes yes so other to me like there are a few things in terms of seeing the veterans with with Lonzo and again this might be something I'm just projecting in and just as I was with maybe the confidence thing to me the veterans see the talent in Lonzo and it's like hidden under ice right now and everybody's trying to thaw it out and like the way they talk to him the way they treat him like it's not like the the dude that's whack the young guy that that ain't got it those guys just aren't taking the time for him right like they're not gonna bother with wasting their time if, if he can't get it done but I feel like people see what's there and are really trying to get it out and it's not just the coaches it's it's the the players as well yeah, I just think that, you know, and just like you said, maybe it's projecting, maybe it's me sort sort of um, looking for the needle in the haystack a little bit or reading too much into comments, but the comments about that Rondo's made about, you know, like I've been in his ear, right, about staying aggressive and shoot the ball and yada, 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 and then LeBron saying similar things like aggressive Zoe is the best Zoe and Right? Like, all of this stuff is, is, is sort of basically just same sides of, of what you and I are talking about in terms of just, like, 
look, man, go out there and play your game, man. Like, you're good enough. Play it. Play your style. Be aggressive. And, and if and if we could put a bow on on the pod with that, if there's anything that can come from this, you know, one and three stretch, and and there will be a few more games where LeBron is out, if Lonzo and and Ingram as well can find a way to play their game alongside LeBron rather than be quite as deferential to him. I think that they're going to I think that that's the sweet sweet spot where they can get a lot of value out of this time where Le- LeBron's been out. Yeah, I've always said, man, like and I saw this down the stretch of Kobe's career where I think Kobe respected the players who were just like, "You you know what? Like I'm taking it." Like, I'm taking it from you. Yes. You know what I mean? And I think great players respect that. and Especially when they know it's backed up by a talent base that is meaningful enough where they know that there's something behind it. And, and that's where I don't think it's like false praise that these guys have heaped on to guys like Lonzo and Ingram and Kuzma and even Hart. That the veterans on this team know that these kids can play. And I think that the best version of these Lakers are going to... this year at least, when all of these guys are on the same team, is when these young guys decide, you know what, like, especially Lonzo, and to a certain extent Ingram, is like, I'm just going to go and get it. It doesn't matter who's on the floor with me. I'm just going to go and get it. Kuzma does not have that problem. No, I was just going to say, <laughs> Kuzma's the example for what that's supposed to look like. So, uh, good stuff, my man. want to give a shout-out to Blue Wire Pods. Really excited to be joining them. Shout-out to the dudes who will be editing this. Thank you so much. You're a lifesaver. We will be recording more often. We're looking to be weekly about as much as possible, and, and now we've got the infrastructure in place to actually do that. We wanted to do that at the beginning of the season and just – there was just not enough time in the day to get as many pods out as we wanted to. So we should be more frequent going forward. Appreciate you guys. Looking forward to, to doing this more. And you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound of Vladi. Nice rebound. The Vladi. Oh, magic ahead. Go to face. Goes under and scores. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? <laughs>